HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues. That's him. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Greg Benson, and it is a beautiful day here on the East Coast. Uh, Souther is not joining us. He's still uh, West Coast in it out there with our friends in Los Angeles. Southwest Coast. Southwest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, He's so. not up here with me, where it's also a beautiful day. Yeah. Finally. I know. Good Lord. I know. About damn time. And, and yesterday was an especially beautiful day. Uh, the sun was shining. It was like 70 degrees here. And for a brief window of time in this country... Donald Trump was under arrest. And man, <laughs> oh, 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 was that sweet. I got to go to uh, one of my favorite uh, beer bars in the world, a place called Max's here in Baltimore, which is also has some pretty big sports bar vibes, which I appreciate. And I was like, hey, can you like, can you like put the indictment on one of these TVs? I was like, that was the big game yesterday, man. Yeah. I was <laughs> loving it. What were you up to? Oh my God. Uh, I was, I, I'm, so deep in a wedding, like, uh, like I'm, I'm coming up to the, uh, the buzzer on my game of wedding planning, um, two weeks from now. And, uh, you know, so like I was, uh, you know, I was doing some, uh, some finalization of, uh, you know, catering menus, which means I was drinking, uh, and, and As one look, does. Yeah. <laughs> for research, for research, it's important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I was just like kind of watching all the news come through. Uh, you know, it's kind of fun when you get more than like one breaking news New York Times update email uh, in a day. Uh, that's the opposite of a, a very innocent like people dying from a school or church shooting. You know? Yeah, recently. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, finally, some some light is being shed on uh, this fucking criminal. This fucking criminal. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, so that's pretty cool. I mean, will it happen? Uh, who knows? It's hard to say, but I know that's the thing. It's like, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to like 
project out to like what might happen because I'm like, I know that I know what I want to happen. I know we're not going to get that. I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to take it one day at a time. You know, I'm just yeah, trying yeah. to be, I'm just trying to be very live, laugh, love about it. And just like be grateful for living <laughs> in the moment. You know, I was like, it's probably going to be nothing. And probably if anything, it's going to backfire on us because that's the timeline that we live in. But you know, for that moment, you know, you gotta, you gotta enjoy those little, those little moments and uh, find your bliss, you know, as I yeah. do. Man, you know, it's it's crazy that Souther hasn't been on the show for three weeks. And, you know, we, we're just talking about all these silver linings. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, but yeah, the, the sunshine cocktail hour sorry, with Greg and sorry, David. That's what we're changing the name to. <laughs> he's going to be back next week. Uh, he's been, as we mentioned before, he's been uh, in Southern California working on some projects. So, And we're very proud of him for, you know, opening a billion bars a, a, every year. Um, so that's cool, but, oh, yeah. um, and like, yeah, and he's but, been, he's been sending us updates about what he's working on too. And it sounds fucking awesome, but I don't want to steal his thunder by talking about it. I'll wait until he gets back. But yeah, maybe, maybe he's yeah. going to come back with like a real SoCal attitude. You know, maybe this will, maybe he'll come back like, you know, having gotten a lot of vitamin D from being in the sun and just be like yeah. a super chill surfer dude for the rest of the show. Yeah. He's probably going to be wearing tie dye and, uh, you know, definitely like, wearing tie dye. <laughs> he's going to bring a longboard back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're happy for that. Uh, then I, I guess one of us is going to have to be deputized as the uh, like the the dark cloud of the show. We can we can gonna, flip a coin every week. We can take turns. We have to we have to bring on another host to like be the <laughs> bad cop. I don't know. Anyway, um, I do want to say that you know like planning this wedding has been crazy. Like essentially, what it is, Greg, and, and I know that you know this probably from like as many bars as Souther opens. It's equaled by how many weddings you attend. I've I've dabbled. Yes, this yeah. is the, I'm I'm but in my it, early 30s. Every single person <laughs> I've ever met on planet Earth got married in the last two years. Yeah, and what a crazy time to do that, right? Yeah, right. But uh, the crazy thing about it is, it's basically like planning. A, it's just like planning a party, but like or an event or an activation. But it's like it's just like a thousand times more stressful. Um, <laughs> But you know, like the, what's what's happening now with this is that you know we're getting a lot of uh, yeah, like you get to ask for whatever you want, which is weird as an adult. <laughs> it's kind of like a, an adult like child birthday party. So like you have a wedding registry and like you, you ask for all these stupid fucking things that like you kind of you don't need. You just kind of want. Um, yeah. But you know, I'm I'm about to be 42 uh, this summer and. I, I'm like at that age where it's like I have all the things I like I want uh, you know or need, so it's kind of it's kind of weird. But the thing that I always run out of and always need more of, I actually got a package in the mail, and it got mixed in with a lot of these uh, these other packages that have been coming in as like wedding gifts. And you know, w amongst the the many things you got to do to plan a wedding, it's. Uh, you know, like you got to do like tastings for like the catering and, and drinks and all that stuff. So yeah. after a lot of, I'm air quoting, you can't see it, but I'm doing tasting. <laughs> <laughs> I get home and amongst these packages of, uh, you know, like well-wishing uh, wedding gifts, there was a box full of my favorite spirit, sample bottles of Mezcal. Happy and wedding to you. Exactly. Well, the thing is, Jamie and I, we uh, <laughs> we did 
we did a very fancy like kind of sloppily fancy uh like i because my whole thing is i i lead tastings you know of, of and teach classes and seminars yeah uh about spirits and and so i'm like walking her through this uh, this tasting of all these different mezcals and telling her about like the different the different uh villages that produce certain styles and all stuff and then i realized by the time we're getting through all these i'm like i'm like i'm i'm too drunk to be talking about this and <laughs> acting like i know what i'm talking about even though i i spent quite a bit of time in oaxaca and but then i, I was like you know let's let's get the person <laughs> let's get the person on the show to actually walk us through this Walk us through this, if you will. Let's see what I did there. Um, oh, Jesus that, Christ. It's terrible, terrible. It's early out here in California. Um, so, and, and, and you know, our uh, our masterful uh, library of segues that's leading us to our guest today. It's going to be an all-time classic, that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dalton Christ, welcome to the show. Uh, it's, it's so awesome to have you here, and thank you for suffering through that intro. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be here, guys. And I thought the Oaxaca threw us through this. I thought that was genius. You like that? Okay, good. Oh, I gonna, loved it. I'll tell it to the publishers when I'm writing my book, and we'll, yeah, uh, it's great. we'll see if that passes through. So you're coming, I, like, you're a fascinating character. Um, you are you're you're in Mexico City right now, and you have some dogs with you, which I love. Um, we were talking about this before the show. One of my favorite uh, radio shows uh, is. The Buddy and Jim show on Outlaw Country and Sirius XM, and they always have like farm animals in the background, uh, just kind of chickens clucking and like goats and cows making their noise, and like dogs and birds. And like, it's a, I love the fact that you have some dogs in, uh, barking in the background. It's you know, our, our equivalent in New York City is uh, sirens, sirens, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I this is way more pleasant. I'm sure that Greg's gonna bring us, he'll pipe in some sirens. Uh, sometime in the show but yeah anyway, actually i record this like out in the middle of nowhere i just have like some foley that oh wait like. you're in baltimore sorry well it's what is it like just orioles fans puking on sidewalks or like what <laughs> yeah it's a lot of that you're the occasional atv uh i did i did actually see a man uh in a public park with a, a python the other day that was fun um baltimore it's always an adventure um but yeah talk to us about what's what's going on in mexico city man how 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 are you these days and what brought you there in the first place? Talk to us about how you wound up down there. Yeah. So going from Iowa to Oaxaca to Mexico city, I was going to say that, you know, story. like that's just a natural progression. Like everyone moves from yeah. Dubuque, Iowa to Mexico. Uh, that just like, that's, that's kind yeah. of just the, you know, that's like the, re the retirement plan. It's like New Yorkers going to Florida. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's just a ton of Iowans that I play basketball with here and hang out with. No, I've uh, not not too many people from Iowa um, leave the state, even for school. I think out of all my friends, one or two went to Colorado and maybe one to L.A. So it is a bit of a unique story. Um, but from Iowa... I um, started traveling the world a lot for engineering and school, and I found a lot of jobs that took me to different places and fell in love with traveling. And then landing in Oaxaca, where I lived for four and a half years, that story is about chasing a girl, a little college sweetheart. Um, and eventually that <clears throat> led me to Magay Me Latte because I had to find a way to make money and live in Oaxaca. She kind of gave me a little bit of an ultimatum, like 
my heart and soul is in this city. So I hope you like it and I hope you figure out a way to stay. And at this point, I was unemployed for two and a half years as I went through a MBA school in Germany. So, you know, when I moved to Oaxaca, I had a lot of business ideas that I was tinkering around with. Um, I had previously taught a class in opportunity recognition, how to come up with like sensible business ideas. But the only rule I had when I moved to Oaxaca that I agreed upon and others supported was don't do anything with mezcal. Do not be another gringo that comes to Oaxaca and starts some sort of mezcal brand. So that was my very last intention and I had no interest in uh, starting a mezcal brand. I didn't really see the, the room for innovation there. Anyways, the company started, that relationship ran its course. We're still dear friends and in contact constantly and co-parent two beautiful dogs. Um, but after four and a half years in Oaxaca, it's a pretty small town. It's my favorite city in the world, especially to visit. Um, but it is quite small and I needed a, a little more energy, a little more social opportunities, professional opportunities. So it was time to move to the big city. And I moved to Mexico City nine months ago. It's an incredible city, Mexico City, that is. Mm -hmm. uh, but also Oaxaca City is, you know, they're two different. They're both beautiful places, but uh, as you said, they are quite different energies, right? You know, mm -hmm. like, the thing is, like, when you're, when you're in Oaxaca, it's, there's a very, I don't know, it's it's the country, but also the city at the same time. There's like a little bit of you know, like especially when you go to like the market and like the like and the street food there is like incredible. It's like you know, mm -hmm. in, in restaurants. But then you go to Mexico City and it's like Michelin star restaurants and like yeah. you know, top fifty best bars in the world. You know, it's like it's it's crazy different. But uh, but there's still like a through line, I think, um, and there's a spirit. If you will, that like that, that kind of resonates. And well, mm -hmm. I mean, also, geez, I'm full of puns right now, but like, there's also the spirit of Men's Scout, <laughs> you know, like, so, um, but yeah, so, like, so what do you like, what happened? What's the origin story of Melante? Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's a good story. It's, it's a two part story. One of them, um, the storyline's very like, active looking for a business idea and the other one's just an extremely genuine organic experience. So I was um, studying entrepreneurship in Germany and in Colombia. And while I was in Colombia, um, writing my thesis as well as trying to make a little bit of money teaching online, I was like very disappointed with the institutional learning um, styles and how much money it costs, how much time goes into it, and how theory-driven it was. So I wanted to take this amazing stuff I learned in entrepreneurial class and make it more concise and make it more relevant to my peers. Um, using examples instead of, you know, like maybe Ford, I'd use um, a weed store or something. Um, so I made this class on coming up with business ideas. I love this concept I learned, but I wanted to go further in it. Um, one of my students in the class was my, my girlfriend at the time. And at the end of every class, depending on what method I taught, you had homework. 
And this method was called the business model method. So you choose a business model and in a concise description, you find a new application for it. Um, so people get assigned the Uber model, the eBay or Airbnb model. She got assigned the wine of the month club, the subscription. By the way, I, I just want to say real quick that I love that you were unemployed for two and a half years and you're talking like hardcore business, uh, like innovation. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, trying okay, to teach go, a class. Go ahead. Yeah. I'll, I'll circle back to that. I'll circle back to that comment because it's relevant. Um, so she got assigned wine of the month club and she would never do her homework. And I'd always help her out right before the next week's class started. And in Germany, when we first reconnected, she brought me a water bottle of mezcal. And she said, try this. This is what we drink all the time in uh, Mexico. And it's so important to the culture and it's the drink of the gods. And at the time I'm like, okay, why is the drink of the gods in a Dasani water bottle? <laughs> like, but, you know, later on, you'd start to really understand that's legit. the essence. Yeah. That's the good that's stuff. That's how the gods that's do it, That's the man. good shit. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the only way you want to drink it. Or a Coca-Cola bottle. I even prefer mm -hmm. the Coca-Cola bottle. Um, so I tried it, and I was very um, not blown away by it. I was like, okay, it tastes really strong. And... I don't know what to think about this and thank you, but I'll stick to my German beers and German wine. I'm quite happy there. So I totally didn't appreciate mescal just taking a swig out of the, the water bottle. But um, when I did her homework for her, I said, well, what about that stuff I drank in um, Germany? Didn't you say there's like different agaves, just like there's different grapes. Okay, done. You do a mescal the month club. Um, so that idea <clears throat> surfaced and I never thought about it. I never wrote it down. I kept a list of my top 25 ideas and like rotated one in when something good came along that never made it. Um, Cause at that point I already had decided absolutely my skull is not going to be part of my business life. Right. So about six months later um, I'm in Oaxaca. It's my first month there. I mean, in the first day that I'm there, we drink a mezcal before we go out for dinner. We drink one while we're waiting for our appetizers, one after dinner. Oh, it's time to end the night. Let's go have a mezcal on a roof. So you just really start to understand the significance of it. And also like your palate's opening up, you know, like the more you drink it, you know, that first sip can be a lot, pretty rough for a lot of people. But, you know, the more you drink it, you, you start to... Acquire a taste. Well, yeah, it. especially if you're like coming from like the land of, uh, you know, Kolsch and uh, Truck and Riesling, you know, like, yeah. yeah, then you go to like a smoky like Chichicapa or like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be quite a bit different, especially yep. something that's straight off the still is that's served from a, a, a reused Coca Cola bottle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like that stuff is like amazing but it's quite a bit different you know absolutely and i like the idea like the uh sorry uh just the uh you know the kind of the situational i love like i love drinking in situations where it's like like the, the alcohol is part of the culture right you know like and you were saying like it's like we have a, a mezcal before we go out and before like while we have our, our uh you said appetizers or like after dinner it's kind of like uh you know like drinking aquavit uh in like scandinavian countries it's like mm -hmm. it's just like everyone's just like making toast all the time through the whole meal just so you can all do shots ah, uh, yep. but, but yeah it's 
but it's also it's very much like a terroir based mm -hmm. situation too it goes so well with like the food and i feel like the food is such a big part of the culture right because oh, yeah. the, like the dining style it's like it's always like family together and it's like it's more it's more about the harvest than it is anything else and like in in the family and so like i feel like to me my personal experience is there it really reflects on the like what comes from the land you know what i mean mm -hmm. absolutely i mean the land is so significant to mescal as well as the social aspect around mescal and that's what i was picking up my first month is like oh this is like a social glue this is what brings people together and continues the night forward um, yeah so both so anyways, after about a month of, you know, hanging out in the city, I finally had an opportunity to go to my first Palenque. It was a, a guy nicknamed Conejo in Minas, who I just visited last week. And of course, he has like a very dear place in my heart because this is where this is where the business actually started. So we get to the Palenque and I have to take a little bit of a scenic route, a side story here for four years in Chicago. You know, I graduated Illinois with an engineering degree, um, general, and I went into the automation industry. And we're building these $8 million machines that are building the airplanes of the future, the Boeing 787s, the NASA space shuttles, drones, bombs, etc. cetera. Um, and they're making airplanes out of plastic. And we're building those machines. And they have like over, I want to say 2,000 IO, so like sensors everywhere that go to the micron level and i spent four years doing that type of work um so the most advanced automation that this world has seen to this point in some senses and i go to this palenque and the first thing the maestro does is he brings us over to the fermentation and he sticks his hand in the fermentation and he apologizes to us. He says, sorry, I was hoping to start the distillation when you guys would arrive, but it's not going to be ready for about six more hours, I think. And right away, I had such a unique appreciation for what I just saw. I'm like, what? How did he tell that? And then, yes. you know, the, it's like the both ends of the spectrum of technology, you know, it's like, I mean, <laughs> I just went from one extreme that was so, so extreme to probably the most other side of the spectrum in an extreme yeah. way. So I was just like, I, I really feel I had like a unique awe moment that was amplified compared to even the average person there. But, you know, I, I learned the process while I was there. We went out to the fields and I saw these wild Karwinskis that were like five feet taller than me. And, you know, at one point I tried to have a job with Anheuser-Busch. So I was familiar with the beer process and what went into that. Um, and then, you know, getting to meet him, he was in a one bedroom house, living room, bedroom, everything's together with his four kids, no Wi-Fi, And he just had this, it was a unique person to me. Like he had a different spirit about him. He was happy and carefree. Um, you know, I envied his life to some extent. And then the, the day finished, sorry, I'm rambling here a bit, but bear with me. That's what we do here. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the day finished with like me and my six friends sitting in his tasting room, you know, drinking all of his 20 liter garrafas. And I have like 2000 pesos enough for two bottles, but he has 20 expressions. 
And I'm having so much fun trying to decide which two bottles I'm going to have and talking to the other person. What do you think of this one? And just like trying to narrow it down. And it was so hard because there's like six that I absolutely wanted. And I got a good buzz going and I walked out to his driveway, just like high on life. This is my first Palenque visit. I had just moved to Oaxaca and this day was so special to me and I'm a little buzzed up. And I was just thinking to myself how beautiful this day was. And now the spirit, everything I tasted, it tasted different to me than what I tasted in Oaxaca City in the bottle in Germany. And, you know, I'd ask myself, what's changed? Have I just become um, accustomed to the flavor? But I really feel what changed that day was I had all this context around it. I met the producer. I saw the fermentation. I saw the agave. And it just like opened up like, oh, this tapestate tastes different from this Madre Quiche that tastes different from this Martenio and this Tripone. Um, so I really recognized what was missing in Germany for me was a sense of context. So sure. the story is coming to an end here. I think to myself, it would be really cool if every bottle had a QR code on it. And you can meet the producer and you could see photos of the plants. And maybe eventually you could hop online and talk to other people who tried that bottle or leave comments on Mescal Reviews. And I try to ignore this and just move on with my apartment finding app that wasn't working out at all. And the the economics of it were very clear that this wasn't going to be a go. And I'm like, all right, don't start a Mescal brand. Don't start a Mescal brand. But it would be really cool if you took that subscription idea from a year ago, but every bottle that arrived in that subscription had a QR code and the sense of context that transplanted somebody to the Muscal Palenque tour, to the distillery. And I tried so hard to ignore it, but eventually after like four days, I did a quick Google search to see what was out there. I saw four competitors, which is great. You don't want to start an idea that nobody's come up with because that's that's not a great indication. But the four competitors were much more like a curated shipping business. It wasn't working directly with independent producers in Mexico, and it wasn't experience-oriented. So I tried to ignore it, but I spent you know two or four hours creating a fake website. Hey, Join the club, but we're sold out right now. Give us your email and just ran $50 of Google you AdWords. <laughs> and everybody signed up, which I felt awful about. Um, <laughs> but I looked at how many people signed up to how much money I spent on Google. And I was like, okay, there's there's demand for this. And by the way, this would be a pretty kick-ass lifestyle business. That's the story. Well, I... I want to say something quickly before we take a break because we're about to do that. The the just the the sense of 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 place is I think the most important part of of Mescal and mm-hmm. and what you found there is something that's really special and the I think the most important part of it is like as you you mentioned like kind of like kind of UX, like user experience. Um, it's really about like the romance of, of, of a place and, and the, the fact that you said like, uh, you know, you were hanging out with this, at this point with the producer that, you know, 
no Wi-Fi, hanging out in this small house. Like it's just like it's almost as if like space and time doesn't like exist in the outside world when you're in lock right it's like it's like you're just there doing the thing and it's a beautiful like kind of magical lifestyle where you kind of get away from all the bullshit and you really get down to like back to earth you know and Absolutely. So let's let's talk about that after the break. But we'll, we'll, let's uh, let's hear from our sponsors, and uh, we'll be back in just a few. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio with our buddy Dalton. All right, back in a few. Every glass of wine tells a story, and these stories reveal hidden histories, flavors, passions, and sometimes they unravel our darkest desires. In Wine Enthusiast's newest podcast, Vinfamous. Journalist Ashley Smith dissects the underbelly of the wine world. We hear from the people who know what it means when the product of love and care becomes the source of greed, arson, even murder. Each episode takes listeners into the mysterious and historic world of winemaking and the crimes that have since become, well, infamous. This podcast pairs well with wine lovers, history nerds, and crime junkies. So grab a glass of your favorite and follow the podcast to join as we delve into the twists and turns behind the all-time most shocking wine crimes. Follow Vinfamous on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and be sure to follow the show so you never miss a scandal. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, mm -hmm. incredible training resources are. They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development. You can pop over to the Quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, and so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University. Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter. The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University Field Guide. Um, and that is a three-volume resource. It's all digital online. At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate. Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet? And like, why is this cheese so expensive? And can pregnant people even eat cheese? At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at CheeseStateUniversity.com. And we're back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. In the studio, we have Dalton Christ from Mega Malate. This has been like, you know, I, I, it's one of my favorite spirits in the world. Um, and I, you know, I thought I was cool for saying that, like, I'm, I'm an Okie. I'm from Oklahoma and like from a ghost town there. I moved to New York. And then I now I live in California. I thought it was cool for like being by coastal and you know, you've lived in like Germany and now Mexico city uh, and working in Mezcal. 
super fucking cool. Um, so what I wanted to call out a little bit was the fact that like if for the listeners out there, if you go to megamalente.com, uh, you can check out all these different varietals. And you said something earlier in the show about like living in Germany and recognizing the fact that when you're you were drinking some wines and different beers there, but like like really wine, I work in the world of brandy these days and, you know, like wine grape varietals and agave varietals kind of share a similar DNA in certain ways. in the fact that they are, there's something you have to really kind of cultivate before, you know, with beer, uh, sorry, sorry, Greg, Greg's the beer guy here in this, this organization. But it's made from grain. I mean, you just kind of like let it grow and it does. Oh, wow. Oh, too. wow. Fighting for <laughs> <laughs> No, it, it, but like, you know, it's a it's a seasonal or annual thing. Whereas like agave takes years, you know, and you really have to care for it and watch over it and, and cultivate it. So um, what I like about these mezcals that you have kind of curated uh, for for everyone to try is that you call out the the different agave varietals, whether it's Majakishi, uh, like you mentioned before, Meicano, um, Tepestate, which is one of my favorites. Um, but then you also call out the producers by their first name on the website and on the bottle. I think, and they all have the signatures of the producer and uh, like on the label that is. Um, so talk to us about that. I mean, like, you know, for for you to meet some of these amazing people is great, but there's like there must be a strong connection with the actual producers too, like a a real friendship, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a another topic we can talk about. You know, the producers we originally worked with, trust and relationship building was ever. As we get further and further away from Oaxaca, that's actually a lot tougher to cultivate these relationships we we do it and we visit them um but it's it's a dynamic of the company that certainly changes and we have great relationships with our producers that are in durango and michoacan but one of the challenges of the business is um these producers have to like you and respect you in order to cut those heads and tails properly or to deliver your mescal at all um so you know to cultivate that when these producers are quite far away, it takes a certain finesse and effort. So it's an interesting topic, but um, what was your original Damon question about the, putting the producers on the bottle? I can speak to that more. I just think it's, it's a great thing to call out because, you know, when it, when it comes down to the, as you had mentioned, the, the kind of cultivation, uh, uh, just like building relationships, mm-hmm. um, there are there are other people out there, as you'd mentioned before, who are uh, essentially sourcing mezcals and bringing them out to market. Yeah, but they're sometimes not necessarily putting the producers' names on yeah. the bottle. So earlier we talked about, you know, not being a gringo, starting a mezcal brand in Mexico. For me, that that was twofold for me. One, um, the whole concept around kind of neo-colonialism and, you know, gringos coming in and stealing this culture and making all the money. It just has a strong stigma, especially in Oaxaca. 
And then for me, I don't know anything about brand focused business, you know, coming from construction and engineering, there's no branding in there. It's relationships and direct sales. Um, so I was never a big brand guy, you know, even in terms of apparel and everything. So my thought, especially after reading some books, is I wanted to be viewed more as a logistics company than a brand. And the way I saw it was every producer is their brand. That's the brand that we're featuring. And we're just trying to get that brand to people's doors as efficiently as possible. And that's what I feel I'm good at is just really focusing on the supply chain and how can we source the best mezcal all around Mexico in an efficient way? How can we get it all the way to people's doorsteps in an efficient way? So that's why, you know, we put the signature as the most center, uh, largest part of the bottle. And then at the top of the bottle is the producer's name. And then way off to the side in the smallest font that the TTB would allow us to put the font in, <laughs> we put our brand name, Melate, which nobody can see. And it's almost off to the side of the bottle. It's as right. far to the side as they allow us. But where we really take it further, um, well, two, two steps further, our entire social media for the entire month, we don't make a sales pitch ever. We don't really show a picture of our bottle. The entire focus is on the place, person, process, and plant that went into that particular expression. And we always start in that order, like here's the sense of place, here's the person behind it, here's what process made it unique, or here's what plant, you know, what's special about it. But after we put all that focus on that producer and introduce them to the world, this is where, you know, not too many brands do this, but it's one of our biggest assets, finding this producer, um, vetting them that they have outstanding mezcal, and then we give away their phone number and GPS location to every other brand in the world, every other importer, every restaurant in Oaxaca, and we even create and go through the effort of creating a, a mezcaleropedia and that's a map of Mexico, and you can go to each state and see the producers we work with, click on it, takes it takes you to their page, and on their page, you have their phone number and GPS, and just can go visit them, can give them a call, and start working with them. So we're really trying to promote them even once we've moved on, and you know we might not be working with them down the road, at least they have some exposure. And about... 70%, 80% of the time, I don't think there's very tangible effects of us doing this, you know, not yet, but 20 to 30%, especially the producers that are close to Oaxaca, their business blows up like Rosario and Minas. I mean, we didn't single-handedly make her the success she is now, but right when she started her Palenque during the pandemic, and then we featured her and introduced her to... 5,000 people in the U.S., everybody goes and visits her. So I'd say like, you know, a couple producers a year really benefit financially and um, have more exposure and contacts from this effort of putting out their phone number and GPS location. I would say to all of our listeners out there, um, I, feel, I mean, you know, our, our listeners are just like, the coolest people anyways they've probably been to Oaxaca already but <laughs> if, they, if you haven't you know this this sense of of place 
is really important for what mezcal is. I mean, I would say any spirit, wine, beer, food, I mean, like go to the place where it comes from and check it out. And also support the people who are making it, you know, like, so yeah, I, I like the idea of, of, of people visiting the Palenque and going to the, and bring in fucking drink water out of a bottle while you're there, drink it. So you can refill the bottle with the mezcal, like right off the still. Cause that's the way, that's the way the pros do it. Right. But yeah. if you can't do that, you can go to megamelatte.com and buy bottles straight from source, um, which I think is really cool. Um, this is a, I, I, I do want to say something uh, like on a, on a personal note, um, you know, like for me, like Southern and I, you know, Southern's not here today, but um, Southern and I, our last trip before the pandemic, our last like work trip uh for for the speakeasy radio show was to Oaxaca and you know we'd both been to Mexico before we, we've been to uh you know like to Jalisco for tequila trips and like been down to Oaxaca for mezcal and, and you mentioned Michoacan um but it was a really it was a really important trip for Southern and I because it was our last trip before the pandemic and we brought back some really amazing mezcals and we went to the Palenque's and, you know, we had all these like plastic reused water bottles and Coca-Cola bottles and stuff. Like that. <laughs> and like, I was, I was sitting there at home wearing a mask in my home. I'm kidding. I wasn't wearing a mask in my home, but, um, but you know, it, it was like a luchador mask. It wasn't like yeah, a COVID exactly. mask. It was, just, <laughs> exactly. it was the pandemic. We all had to do what we had to we, do. Yeah. We, we all got a little weird there and some of us stayed weird. Um, but, <laughs> but to me, uh, the, going to Oaxaca and having these mezcals and the more importantly, the experience to go along with it. I think that's really important. You know, um, it got me through those early days of the pandemic. I was just like, I, it transported me because like every time I would take a sip of, you know, this burrito or like whatever it might be, you know, like I, it took me right back there. And I feel like it's more powerful. I think that mezcal is more powerful in that kind of sense of memory than say going to Kentucky and having some bourbon and then bringing it back. And it's like, well, tastes different here than it did there it's always going to taste different when a little different when you're back home but it doesn't necessarily transport me back to kentucky you know or like even going to cognac and like tasting it and being like oh well no, this reminds me of like being on the on a boat on the charant river you know like but but mezcal is very powerful in that way yeah it's 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 important for for understanding where it comes from and, and how it's made and it and it's very humble and a beautiful thing and so i i would say that like i i commend you for uh like 
showcasing the producers and you know where these things are made and go out to Durango and like get get deep into it you know it's Mm -hmm. but you know it it, uh, you know it's and I would to me it's the most important thing I would just add to that you know the people who are the most diehard Magueme Latte fans in the club they're always the people who have actually gone to Mexico and visited the Palenque and then they Mm -hmm. get so much value out of they feel like they're visiting a new Palenque every time their new bottle arrives. Um, because in order to get transplanted to Mexico from that bottle, you need to have had to been there to begin with. Yeah. So I always tell people, save your money on the subscription. Don't sign up for the subscription because you can buy a plane ticket for almost a year's worth of subscription and just follow our social media and use magaymelatecom slash mescaleropedia and go out to these uh, producers directly. Because I know once you go out to the producers directly and you see how special that that trip is that day, you're going to come back to the States and be like, I want to have that experience every month. So that would be my recommendation is you follow us on social media. Every month is a trip to a Palenque. And we post the GPS. So if you see something you like, you can plan your trip around there, hire tour guides, we have services. And the best way to experience Mescal is it's not the club. It's going to Oaxaca and meeting these people and shaking their hand and hearing yeah. them speak. You have to go to Mexico directly to get the the true, most authentic experience out of Mescal. Absolutely. And then the club is second best. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Still got to plug it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, and, and it just gives you a a different respect for I think a lot of a lot of Americans are just used to like anything that's agave they just shoot it and once you go there and you see how things are made I certainly got back and was like all right I'm just gonna like it changed from having a copita or uh, you know a shot glass of mezcal to uh, you know like I started putting in a wine glass and just like sipping on it you know um, it, it, it just changes your understanding of it. And I, I really appreciate you being on the show today. We're here at the end. And uh, I, like uh, everyone go check out megamelate.com uh, and on Instagram. And yeah, it, it, but also, as you mentioned, fucking go there. Yeah. <laughs> just go there. Uh, I think we're probably due for another uh, radio trip. Actually, when we went last time, uh, Greg wasn't on the show yet, so we'll have to get all three of us down there. Uh, we should uh, meet you down there, actually. Dalton. Absolutely. I'd love Let's to take you guys out to some special special producers with special personalities. They're all special, but some, some really make for an outstanding experience. Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's do it. Awesome. Thanks again, Dalton, for being on the show today and talking with us about uh, Maggie Malate. Uh, really fun. I always love talking about Menescal. It's, like I said, one of my favorite spirits. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, when I get home tonight, uh, I'll I'll see if I have any left from my my very formal Menescal tasting with my soon-to-be wife. Um, <laughs> anyway, if not, congratulations on the wedding. Thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> we'll see if I make it uh, make it through. Um, you got, you got two. You got two more weeks. You can do it. 
Yeah, well, let's see if she doesn't like leave me before then. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'll, if that if that happens, I'm moving to Mexico City, and we're going to be hanging out and getting into trouble Boom. together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All Sounds right, good. that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Until next week, salute, salute, salute. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. Yeah.